0: Welcome, weirdos, to the Halloween bonfire. Grab a seat by the fire, toast a marshmallow, and settle in for some spooky conversation. Later on, I'll be sharing a campfire tale written by one of my favorite storytellers. First up, A Cut Above Horror Review is here to share their favorite Halloween-themed TV episodes. Welcome to the party. Good evening. We are A Cut Above Horror Review.
1: I'm Jacqueline. I'm Hydrovert. And I'm John. And we're here to weigh in for the Light and Shadow podcast, um, talking about some of our favorite Halloween TV specials, fellas. I'm glad yeah. we're participating in Nicole's special Halloween episode here.
2: I'm honored. Big fan of Light and Shadow, and yep. also a big fan of Nicole. One of our top special guests. She's well, basically
1: the fourth cut above member. She the really honorary is. Fourth we member. ever took
2: in a fourth? She's she's it.
3: I agree with Jacqueline. Yeah, she's our fourth member. Um, it's awesome to be a part of Light and Shadow podcast. Talking about spooky season, huh? What, mm-hmm. what, what do we got on tap today?
1: Yeah, so I, I want to talk about some favorite TV specials that uh, that would air around Halloween. Um, Hyderberg, I know you've got some too. John, um, who wants to go first? Hyderberg?
2: Yeah, sure, I can go first. Okay. Um, so... This was, a, this was a tough subject to tackle because there's so many and also like a lot of these themed um, television shows were, some, were things of the past. I don't think television shows do them as frequently now. Some of the sitcoms do, but I watch a lot of dramatic television when I do watch television. Uh, so like, I'm just drawing off of like memory. Um, so like I watched at least two today that I remember from my past. And one of them is the Martin special from season one of martin (laughs) martin lawrence's show yeah i used to watch that show as a kid and he used to make me laugh a lot martin um season one episode 10 is called the night he came home which is (laughs) a which is a reference to halloween Mm -hmm. i just i want to assume it is um so martin he makes fun of his girlfriend gina and their friends um And he makes fun of them for being easily scared, right? And then they all plot against him to scare him on Halloween night because he acts like he's like the man. You know, he pats on his chest like, I'm a man. I won't be scared. And they're like, okay, bud, you know, we got you. So Halloween night comes and he comes home from work and they're all dressed in costumes. A couple of them are. And they play some games and it's, it's just like they, they, they plot against him to just like scare him. They set up some things, some scares. They play like a seance, um, a Ouija board. And like Martin's comical over overacting is just like, it just sets the scares like really well. Um, and they just set up all these different scares in his apartment. It all takes place in his apartment. And I just remember like the doors to the cabinets are opening up and like a vase gets thrown across the room and like all these things to get like, dupe him into the fact that like oh you're actually this is actually happening and like his friends have nothing to do with it Um, his friend Tommy I remember this the most Tommy pretends to be possessed by like this this person in a ghost story that they told earlier like old man Atkins and and the guy possesses him and Tommy's got his tongue hanging out and like this light lit on him and like Martin just starts like cracking slowly and his friends just they they scare the crap out of him and they reveal it to be a prank and like Eventually, he just kicks them out of the apartment, as what Martin would do in his show. Eventually, he would kick everybody out when he got pissed off, and yeah, you know, he would get say so get the step in. And I just remember it being, uh, I just it was a, it was like a memorable Halloween special at the time. I had just seen The Exorcist not long before that, and so Tommy like being possessed just stuck with me. Like, there's no makeup on or anything. He's just sticking his tongue out and like wiggling around, but, and he just like won't like. There's a scene where everybody disappears in the house except for Tommy and he's possessed. And Martin's trying to move around him, like not get close to him, cause he, he thinks he's gonna lash out at him. And there's this one prank where like, this thing keeps coming out of the closet. This toy that they have, like, it scares you. It's like a dummy. And then at one point, it comes out of the closet and it grabs Martin. And it's not a dummy anymore. It's one of the people, like one of the friends pretending to be the dummy. And it was just cool. I don't know. It was just funny. I just remember it really well. And I watched it today and it just kind of holds up still. Uh, my other one is the Simpsons uh, season five. Um, Episode 5, Treehouse of Horror, Part 4. The Treehouse of Horrors are special to me. They're my go-to as a child growing up and into an adolescent. Like, I looked forward to them every year. I looked forward to The Simpsons in general, just, like, because it was a big thing. You'd watch them on Sunday nights. But just the Treehouse of Horrors in general, just awesome. And so this one has... um, It has the one where Homer sells his soul for a donut... (laughs)
3: And like the devil shows
2: up and the devil is portrayed by Ned Flanders, which is like, oh my God, Ned Flanders is the devil. (laughs) Um, I've always just loved like the tombstone gags and the uh, alternate opening of the Treehouse of Horrors too. Like they're just, they have these little nods to horror, which I got as I got older and I saw more movies and I realized what they were saying. like all the creators' names are skewed and like changed a little bit to be like creepy. Um, So yeah, Homer sells his soul for a donut. He eats that donut eventually, all of it. Um, And there's like a trial to save his soul. And then Marge reveals that like, oh, he sold his soul to me when we got married. And he gave it to me in a a note on the back of this picture. So Homer gets out of it. And, and, And he's fed like unlimited donuts in hell as a punishment when he's first down there. But it's like a pleasure to him. He just like eats them up. He's like, oh, oh, oh. And he's just like, give me more and then there's like another there's another um, episode I mean on that same episode there's another skit that um, does the Twilight Zone episode of uh, 20,000 feet uh, terror at 20,000 feet on the plane but it's barred on the bus it's pretty funny and then the third one is Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula (laughs) mm-hmm And it's a parody on that. Mr. Burns plays the role of Dracula, which is very That's fitting.
3: Awesome. I, I vaguely remember that one. Yeah. yeah
2: and overall, I just it's one of my favorite Treehouse hours. It's one of the earlier ones, but it's really good. And like the reach around or the wraparound, if you will, oh is like a night <laughs> is like a night gallery um, homage where Bart goes from painting to painting, and he introduces the show through the paintings. So That's I thought cool. that was really cool. And then just as a quick shout out. Recently, Marvel did uh, Werewolf by Night, which I just thought is a really cool, just, it's not Halloween themed, like it has nothing to do with Halloween, but it's like, um, it came as at the time of Halloween, it's like a Marvel special, and it's just really cool, it's like Marvel dipping their toe the horror, I really enjoyed that, and um, just a quick shout out to Over the Garden Wall. I think it's just—it's like very spooky, seasonal vibes, and it's charming as hell. It's a Cartoon Network miniseries from several years ago, and it's just got that those fall vibes, and it's really good if you want to get into uh, Halloween or f- or fall in the beginning of October. It's a good watch. So, those
3: are my picks.
1: Nice, 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 Andre. How about you, Jacqueline? Um, interestingly enough, I also chose a sitcom uh, episode just like uh, the Martin episode, but uh, the sitcom Roseanne
0: uh, Mm. notoriously
1: always had a really over the top Halloween episode. Now they started that in season two, didn't have one for season one. But every season thereafter, um, they had a special Halloween episode and Roseanne kind of proclaimed herself the queen of Halloween. And she always had some big, like, elaborate prank to play on somebody. Um, But for season two, the very first Halloween episode, there was no prank or anything. It was just, like, um, the family getting together to put on a really amazing haunted house in their home. And little kids would come through and they would try to scare the shit out of them. And so... Um, Some of the memorable things that happened in that episode were um, they come in and Roseanne tells them a scary story about, I forget what, like an escaped lunatic or something And, and he's been known to lurk around this very neighborhood and then she scares them all and then they run into the kitchen. And then in the kitchen, Darlene, I don't know if you guys ever watched Roseanne, if you know. I the did actually. But uh, I think it's like one of the best sitcoms of all time But so Darlene, one of the daughters She's like eating her Halloween candy and she's like mom. I think there's something in this candy Ugh. And then she spits out a razor blade mm. and tons of fake blood and all the yeah. kids are like ah. And then Becky is standing at the sink and She's like fiddling with something and then she pretends that her arm has gotten caught in the garbage disposal and nice. she's got spurts of fake blood coming out and it looks pretty like real and she's kind of like she does a really convincing kind of jerky movement like she's trying to get her arm out but it's being like eaten by the disposal Uh, and then you kind of cap it all off with like a platter on the table and I forget if it's Dan or Roseanne but they lift off I think it's Dan's head it's, uh, it's Jackie's head. Oh, Jackie's head. Yeah. The aunt, yeah, Roseanne's sister. And she's got fangs in it and she just kind of like screams. And that's yeah. like the, the kind of like culminating moment. But um, it looks it's like a really awesome haunted house that they make just in their home because they're all in on it together. And there's this kind of weird dynamic where it's like it's like a meaningful thing that the family all does together. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they come together to do Halloween. Scare the um, so, crap
2: out of all the kids in the, in the neighborhood.
1: Yeah. So that second episode, I, I think is the, that second season episode is really like the best Halloween episode In subsequent years. They do have some good ones. Um, but like I said, they, they usually center around some kind of a prank that Roseanne has masterminded. And then sometimes the rest of the family kind of teams up to try to pre prank her, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, don't
2: her and Dan have like an ongoing thing where like Dan tries yeah. to scare her.
1: Or not yeah. even, like, scare, but just, like, trick, trick her. Yeah. And um, so there's different stuff where, like, oh, they try to convince her Dan's gay. Or, the, you know, Jackie's husband is cheating on her. And then there's all this stuff. Um, one episode I like is... It's actually... The Halloween episode of the final season, which is a terrible, terrible season, and it's not a great episode, but I do love it. I do love it for one reason, and that's they do kind of an extended scene that's an homage to Rosemary's Baby, which is mm. my favorite movie.
2: Roseanne's Baby.
1: Yeah, Roseanne's Baby. So, um, I, so I do love that. That's that's season nine of uh, of Roseanne, but not a good season, not a great episode, but it does have that scene that I like because of Rosemary's Baby, but. Um, but yeah, season check out season two. I don't remember which ex, which episode number it is, but it's it's the Halloween one. I think that's the best. Um, and then beyond that, of course, I grew up watching the Charlie Brown you know special. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and so that's always a timeless classic. And that's it you know good for the whole family. There's nothing really objectionable in it. It's kind of a sweet story, and Charlie Brown kind of gets the short end of the stick as always, and Linus has his kind of like heartfelt hopes and dreams like always and he's waiting for the great pumpkin to arrive and everyone ridicules him but he remains stalwart in his optimism so that's kind of you know charlie brown he's kind of the like the schlamozzle and stuff always kind of goes wrong for him but linus is always like hopeful and he keeps the real meaning of the holidays alive he kind of has the same role in the christmas movie where he's like i'm against the consumerism i you know it's the spirit of christmas <laughs> kind of classic for a
2: reason and it holds up
1: it sure is and of course you know my kids of course my kids watch it every year and they're they're super little but it's safe for the little ones as well so um those are those are that's like the obvious go-to right
3: Mm -hmm. yeah i think
1: yeah John, do you have any favorite Halloween TV classics, or, uh, or well, did yeah, you kind of stick more with other types of stuff?
3: Yeah, when Nicole threw this out to us, um, I, I really, really racked my brain of of anything that that you know brought back some great memories. Um, I, and this is not a cop out, but I, it's watching basic cable, you know, mm-hmm. like TBS or TNT would always run these marathons of Halloween, The Exorcist, Pumpkinhead. You know, it was all these great horror movies. You know, kind of Halloween based. You know, I do remember vividly of watching Halloween one. For some reason, and um, we recently did this episode. Halloween three was never on there, so it was like Halloween one, Halloween two, four, and five. And then it was just like like that's what they would run continuously. So I'd watch Halloween one, eight o'clock, eight mm-hmm. ten. I'd stay up. Ten to midnight, you know. As a kid, watching two, and then did they
1: edit those at that time?
3: Oh, they did. Yeah, you didn't see, you didn't see the gore, you didn't see the nudity or anything like mm-hmm. that, or, or the uh, adult language. It was just more like, you know, it was still the the score of these movies. And then four and five, I went to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, yeah, but
1: those were still, ex- it was still exciting, even though they were edited and kind of like tamed down a little. Because you know, back when when we were kids, like home video was kind of in its infancy and you couldn't just stream everything you wanted. You couldn't, you didn't just have the Blu-ray of everything and so to be able to catch something on TV was like an opportunity, right?
3: Well, yeah, and then plus you had Joe Bob, I mean, back in the day is that you had the um, Monster Monster
1: Vision, you know,
3: and stuff like that. You, You watch these, you know, outlandish movies, but for me, I vividly remember just watching again, movies like Pumpkinhead. And I, I know it's not a Halloween movie technically, but Exorcist was on there. Um, uh, oh. Halloween's absolutely. You know, especially... How the, do you
2: play the Exorcist on TV? That's a tough one. Got to cut
3: did, a lot of stuff. They did. But I mean, I, again, it's one of those w- ones that it was aesthetically, it, it's frightening with the... Yeah, stars. it is. Um, so it wasn't so much of the stuff that they showed uh, on censored, you know, you know, like the the, the whole crucifix scene or whatever. They wouldn't show that, but they would show her in a hospital, you know, Reagan, and her just screaming because, you know, she's going through so much pain because there's something wrong with her. But then you would see her, you know, today's a good day for an exorcist or whatever it was, you know, and just the green goop out out of her mouth. And Pazuzu, I mean, they would actually show that jump scare of Pazuzu and you're like, as a kid, that was terrible. Terribly frightening, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember watching a lot of TV shows. I mean, obviously, you know, it's I, I, I loved your your pick for uh, for Martin. I think that that was funny because I do remember that the Roseanne one. I do remember. So good picks on oh, you. Sorry. To be
2: these old. television specials are sort of a thing of the past. I mean, some of the shows nowadays, it's mainly comedies or sitcoms that do them still. Hmm. I mean, there used to be. I feel like there were there were television specials for every holiday back in the day. Nowadays, we get a lot of a la carte TV where people watch what they want. We don't necessarily all have cable boxes anymore. We don't all watch television on Fox all the time. or, or We have more options than just the, the four networks, you know what I mean?
3: Yeah. And, but so
2: the- a lot of the shows that I tend to watch don't have a holiday special. So it, it took a while to actually think about what this was a question that def- definitely I had to think about for a while.
1: Well, yeah, I, we all had to go back in the past for yeah. this. There's nothing like recent, really. Right, we're all
3: around the same age. So, I mean, when when basic cable became, you know, cable and then premium cable with like the HBO, Showtime, Cinemaxes, but that like you had that that cable package of TBS, TNT, where they would buy the rights to these movies, but you always wanted to watch them. You know, especially during Halloween season, that you know you just stay up and watch these movies, and you had a little coax cable that you can plug into your 13 inch TV with the TV VCR combo and be able to watch these movies and like for me it was so nostalgic and so it was wonderful and and really created a hunger more for horror movies uh, of being able to watch more and more and more you know and having sleepover at friends house where they had Cinemax and I got to watch all these like wacky horror movies I'm like yeah uh, you know this is my this is my thing this is my genre
1: yeah I think we can both, I think Heidberg and I can relate to that too. <laughs> well, that was a good question. I liked, I liked kind of being uh, asked to revisit that. Cause I, I honestly hadn't thought about that in a while, but um, yeah. Thinking back to some classic Halloween TV stuff. So pretty awesome. Thanks Nicole for asking us. Thanks for
2: inviting us to the party. We yeah. love Nicole.
1: Happy
0: Halloween.
2: Keep it creepy.
0: Thanks guys. I personally haven't seen the Roseanne or the Martin uh, Halloween TV episodes that you guys brought up, so now I have some more stuff to watch. Um, My personal must-watch episodes for Halloween season include American Horror Story. I usually watch pretty much all of the Halloween episodes from the show, but my favorite are the original from Murder House. It's two episodes just called Halloween Part 1 and Halloween Part 2. Um, There was something really just great about that original season that they never quite captured again, and so those are my favorite Halloween episodes of American Horror Story. Another great thing about Halloween episodes is, of course, mostly you have sitcoms doing Halloween episodes. And that's really fun for people who maybe aren't into horror. And so I watch a lot of Halloween episodes with David, my husband. And um, some of our favorites are the New Girl Halloween episodes. Um, we also really love the Epidemiology episode of Community. And then of course we watch all of the Brooklyn Nine-Nine Halloween Heist episodes. And those aren't really scary at all, but is it's a really unique take on a Halloween episode for a sitcom. It's not just the same thing that you've seen over and over again. And speaking of the same things you've seen over and over again, uh, one problem that horror fans can have during the Halloween season is finding new stuff to watch because I think we all have those favorites that we like to revisit year after year, but after a while, you know, you wanna add something new and fresh to the mix. So luckily for us, the Straight Chilling podcast crew is here to give us their suggestions for hidden gems to watch during the season. Welcome, guys.
4: What up, nerds? I'm your boy, Bob, from the Straight Chilling podcast. With me, as always, are my two right hands. I got Randu and Soju. What's up, fellers? I'm the red right
5: hand, I would like to point out.
4: Oh, what a bitch boy, Soju? nicole was kind enough to ask us to uh ruin her podcast this halloween and uh, <laughs> uh potentially make uh, uh give you guys some recommendations of some, some dark horses some things to watch around halloween that maybe not everybody has seen or heard about so we're gonna do our best to provide um we got some wrecks uh juice you want to kick us off what uh, what's something you like to watch around halloween
6: yeah, I was checking some of the big lists, and you know, I know it's like a lot of the cornerstone horror films for Halloween. So I picked one that I didn't see on the first couple of lists that I checked, and that was Idle Hands, which is from 1999. Now this film is super dated, um, but the 90s are coming back around in popularity. Um, it's it's just. <laughs> I,
4: <laughs>
5: They might have actually passed that, that waste up already. <laughs>
6: Maybe. <laughs> but um, it's a stoner comedy. But you got Devin Sawa. You got Seth um, Green, Jessica Alba. And actually, you know, I think Devin Sawa really does a good job here. He is, his hand is possessed and is murdering people. And um, it's really funny. Um, it's got really great Halloween vibes. There's decorations everywhere. There's a Halloween party. Um, I just, there's some fun, like, body kind of horror gore, but for comedy, comedy-wise, it's, like, I don't know, pretty pretty fun and effective. And I just didn't see that really pop up a lot, so it's a little bit of a forgotten halloween film in my opinion and then there was a brand new film that just dropped this year so it might not be a hidden gem as much as it is just kind of brand new and that was you are not my mother which um i did a mini cast for our podcast for which is why i wanted to mention it and um it's set in scotland which is cool to see halloween kind of taking place there and they have a little bit more of their like local customs built in and it's got some folklore based into that film so i thought it was definitely uh, worth mentioning and a new film you should check out around the spooky season
4: nice rex juice appreciate it uh randy what uh what do you got for the fine folks listening
5: well, anybody who's listened to us, first of all, I'm sorry. Second of all, I, there's no way that you're going to be surprised at my recommendation because I spare no opportunity to mention it. It is the found footage, masterpiece in my opinion Ghost Watch, the BBC pseudo documentary that was released and scared the poop out of a whole nation to the point where they <laughs> banned this movie for some years. It's very much a War of the Worlds type scenario. Um, but with ghosties and spooks and so on, it's pretty great. Um, it features actual BBC um, uh, uh, personalities, um, therefore sort of like heightening the level of realism that people experienced with it. So it's got a little bit of a of a of, of lore in and of itself that um, helps sell at home when you're watching it. But honestly, it doesn't need that much help. I think that for a TV film, it is one of the best TV films I've ever seen and it is certainly one of the better Halloween films um, one that I inten- I I watch every year as much as possible it's getting a new release uh, I think it was delayed till December that is going to be an actual US region uh, release of this film thank god it's oh. been kind of region locked for a long time um but uh, it's kind of dependent on, you know, the kindness of strangers. But heavily recommended if you like found footage, if you like, you know, uh, like ghost hunter type shows, if you like um, War of the Worlds sort of like, you know, is it real? Is it not? Sort of mythic movies. This is a great one. So please, please watch this
4: and Ready? recommend it to your friends. Are you, are you going to buy that sweet Blu-ray?
5: it's on pre-order baby are you
4: kidding me too man the the cover (laughs) art looks nice too like it's it's great yeah i recommend checking it out and if you do dig it yeah pick that up it's uh it's uh, it sucks it's delayed i didn't know that but thank you for telling me Mm -hmm. awesome bob
6: Um, yo For spooky season, what is your hidden gems, your secret recommends? What's on the list of Bob?
4: Let me show you Bob's gems. Uh, I wanted to mention a movie called Gravy, which sounds like a Thanksgiving horror movie more than anything. It does. Um, This is from 2015. It is a 90-minute horror comedy. Um, Scream Factory put this out on Blu-ray in 2015, so it's pretty easy to find. I think you can stream it, uh, you know, on Whatever digital plat- platform you prefer, um, but it's it's a horror comedy. It's about these three cannibals, and every Halloween night they just eat people that's what they do um so they uh, on this particular particular halloween night they break into a mexican restaurant as they're sort of closing down and cleaning up for the evening and they tie up the staff and they torture and plan to cook and eat them um but it is done in a very comedic fashion this has um an actor by the name of jimmy simpson whom At the time of of me watching this, I'd only ever seen him as one of the McPoyle brothers from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. (laughs) He's done other things since then. Um, It's also got a a cameo of um, uh, Sarah Silverman is in it, and I think those are really the only two actors that I really recognize in this. Uh, But it's a pretty low-stakes horror comedy, and um, it's very, very Halloween-themed. Everybody's in costume. The restaurant's all decorated to the nines. And, um, I recommend checking it out if it's something that you haven't seen before. So yeah. Gravy. Check it out. Nice. All right. Yeah. So hopefully those are the couple titles that you guys are unfamiliar with. And if you hate it, make sure to come back and yell at us. That is okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We get it all the time. Yeah. Uh, but we appreciate the love too. So if you like it, you know, let us know you liked it. Um, Again, thanks, Nicole, for uh, inviting us to your little Halloween party. Uh, We really do uh, appreciate being included, and we hope all you guys out there listening are having a fantastic Halloween season. And, um, yeah, until next time, keep chilling.
0: Thanks so much for the recommendations. Um, There are definitely a few movies on that list that I myself have not seen, so thank you for those. A couple that I would add are... Dark Knight of the Scarecrow and Hell House LLC. So Hell House LLC is like pretty obvious uh, and I think it's becoming a Halloween favorite, but it's a fun one that I feel like I can just rewatch year after year. It's got great spooky vibes and I like to watch the whole trilogy even though the second two aren't nearly as good as the first one. Um, But if you have not checked out the Hell House LLC kind of trilogy, it's a great one to add to the rotation. And I mentioned Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Um, it was a made-for-TV movie in the 80s, and it was my one of my grandpa's favorite movies. And so growing up, we watched that movie over and over again, regardless of the season. But um, it's just got great small-town spooky vibes, and the story, it's just, it's a good one, and it has what I think a great ending. So add those to your list as well. Whew. Looks like it's starting to get a little bit late, but I think there is just enough time to share a story before we go our separate ways. It started at a Halloween carnival and ended in a forest on a night a lot like this one. In mid-October of 2005, I noticed a small flyer inside a cafe advertising a Halloween carnival in Rose Creek Park, three miles or so outside the city limits. My friends and I were looking for something to do on Halloween night, so we decided to go to the carnival for some cheap thrills. There were three of us that night, me and my friends Don and Mike. We were all design students at the university. We had a few drinks at my apartment and then we set out for the carnival, but we wound up not getting there until almost 10 o'clock. Some of the lights had been turned off in the park and there weren't that many people milling around anymore. There was a haunted house for small kids, another one for more mature kids, and a haunted trail leading off into the woods. The trail was what had made me want to come to the carnival because I knew Rose Creek Park went so far and deep into the woods that it was guaranteed to be creepy, even though all it would probably be was a bunch of fake tombstones and lurching zombies and maybe vampires that leapt on cue from behind the trees. But it looked like we were too late for the haunted house and the trail. So we bought some cider, and no new hay trucks came along to take us down it, and no one else had gotten into line. It was about 10.15 when one of the employees of the carnival told us it was pretty much over already, which meant Halloween itself was done. We were disappointed, but not too terribly so. We started discussing where we should go to drink. The spooky sound effects CD that had been playing over some loudspeakers stopped, and it seemed like everyone was just about gone. It was very dark in the park by then. The lights had been dimmed all over. Just as we were about to leave, a horse-drawn carriage came clanking up to us from across the field in front of the woods. The carriage was driven by a tall man in a top hat. He stopped his horse and stepped down from his seat, removing his hat. The man had long, stringy hair that had thinned in several places, and he seemed about 60 years old. He smiled at us, and we saw that his face had been heavily rouged. He wore a top coat with a white shirt underneath it and garish, bright blue pants. On his feet were old white sneakers. Nothing about this man matched. But he greeted us and offered us a ride down the trail, the very last of the night. We were initially tempted, but only one of us by that time wasn't thinking more about heading off to the bar. Mike was still excited about the trail. He wanted to go on the trip, preferably alone, so he could get the maximum scare, I remember him saying. We just laughed at him as he climbed into the back of the rickety carriage. Without asking for payment, the coachman tipped his hat at us, donned it, and got back up behind the white horse. He got the horse moving with a gentle nudge. Then the carriage slowly turned around towards the north and moved across the field. Mike leaned out and waved at us. He said he would meet us at the Foreman bar in about 45 minutes. Then the carriage bumped along the field and entered the trail that led into the woods. Then we went on our way. An hour and a half later, we were firmly ensconced at the Foreman and we had begun to worry a little. When two hours had passed, we left the bar and walked back to the park. By now, the area where the carnival was being staged was virtually deserted except for a few straggling workers. The next morning, the haunted house and the other attractions would be removed. Don and I stood at the place where we had last seen our friend and saw nothing that hinted at his whereabouts. Our phones had no messages. We waited there for another full half hour before we returned to the bar. No sign of Mike. We went back to the park again. It was now a little past two in the morning and everyone was gone. The area was completely lightless. John and I walked across the open field in front of the woods and stood at the head of the haunted trail. We could see fake tombstones marching off into the darkness. We decided to walk the trail. The atmosphere as we went was more than unsettling. Rose Creek Park is not the most dangerous after dark location in the city, but there has been plenty of crime there in the past. We walked the full half mile of the haunted trail past artificial spider webs strung into the trees and a row of hanged dummies dangling from ropes, which were just silhouettes in the moonlight now. We called out for Mike, but no answer came. When we came out on the other end of the trail at a residential street called Hortus Avenue, we went right to the police, but we never saw Mike again. The police conducted a thorough search for him, covering every inch of the trail and most of Rose Creek Park. No evidence of his presence or of a mysterious coachman was found. More mysterious still was the fact that the operators of the Halloween carnival claimed that they had never hired any coachman with a carriage to take anyone down the ghostly trail. They operated three open hay trucks and that was it. The coachman had been an interloper and no one else could remember having seen him or his horse or his carriage. and no track marks, suggesting a carriage ride were ever found along the trail. Two months after Mike's disappearance, Dawn called me at home because something else was greatly disturbing her. Her memories of the night we lost our friend had been undergoing a slow, strange metamorphosis. Little by little, she had been losing her recollections of the mysterious coachman. In her mind she could only see mike insisting that he could catch the last hay truck of the night if he ran down the trail he was saying he wanted to make a run for it because he had seen the truck get onto the trail just as the employee from the fair told us we'd missed it Don now had vivid memories of mike running across the field a little drunkenly intent on getting on that hay truck i was bewildered by this i knew our encounter with the coachman had been real and I thought Dawn must now be overwhelmed with her grief and shock to the extent that her mind was playing tricks on her. But she swore she had all but lost her images of the coachman entirely. The picture of Mike running across the field alone was quite strong. She couldn't even really recall what story she had told the police. I figured it didn't matter anyway because nothing would change the fact that the search for Mike was essentially over. Something terrible had happened to him. That was all that mattered. But the more I mulled over Don's new story, the more depressed I became. On December 28th, I walked back to Rose Creek Park to the site of the long-vanished Halloween Carnival. It was a little after 9 p.m. I looked at the field where I had last seen Mike and I began to walk. Inside of two minutes, I was at the head of what had once been the ghostly trail, but was now just a pedestrian walking path leading into the woods. It had snowed two days before, and there were three inches of powder on the ground. The light refracted off the snow cover and gave me plenty of light to walk by. I didn't feel very safe, but I didn't much care about that anymore. As I walked, I could very clearly recall the fake tombstones and artificial spider webs I had seen two months before. I seemed to remember the exact location of each. 10 minutes into my moonlight hike, I turned my head to the right, remembering this was about where Dawn and I had seen a row of four stuffed dummies hanging by their necks from the trees. I stopped, stunned, when I saw that the dummies were still there, 15 feet or so off the trail, silhouetted eerily. They had never been taken down. A chill went through my spine. It was only 20 degrees outside, but I felt much colder than that. I stood, staring at the effigies, unable to go on. It struck me that there was no snow on the fake corpse's shoulders. There should have been if they'd been hanging there for longer than two days and even drenched in shadow, they seemed much more realistic than they had seemed before. I took a few steps off the trail to get a closer look. There was no question that these corpses were different somehow. They were not merely husks stuffed with hay and paper. They looked very much like actual dead bodies. I was about to step even closer to them when I heard the clomping of a horse's hooves on the path behind me. I turned and saw a carriage moving my way. At that point, my mind and body locked up almost entirely to the point where a scream was impossible, running more impossible still. I could see little bits of snow kicked up when the horse trotted forward. And when the wind rose, its mane blew partially over its eyes. The coachman sitting above him was nothing but a dark shape. The carriage came up to me and stopped. The horse turned its head toward me and then quickly looked away, disinterested. The coachman climbed down slowly from his perch. It was the man who had taken our friend away on Halloween. He was dressed exactly the same way, down to the top hat and tattered sneakers, his face heavily rouged. He turned to me and removed his top hat and invited me to go down the trail in style in the back of the coach. There would be no charge, the man said. I managed to speak then, just a few words. I asked the coachman where my friend Mike had gone. The coachman said he would be only too happy to show me It was just up ahead. He half-bowed and stepped back, opening up the door of the coach. But I would not get in, of course. I was not going anywhere with that madman. Seeing my reluctance, the coachman put his hat back on his head and continued to smile kindly. He told me that if I did not wish to come voluntarily, he would make it easier to oblige. The next memory I had was sitting in the back of the coach as the horse pulled it down the trail. There was no recollection of getting inside the coach. I was simply there, frozen with fear. I recall every detail of the trip that then began. The snow on the ground, the moon hidden by the clouds above, the way my breath plumed in front of my face, the sound patterns of the horse's hooves on the path. I saw that the mock tombstones were back. And now, there were far more bodies hanging from the trees, some of them hanging from heights that seemed impossible. Once or twice as we went, I had to crane my neck upwards to see a body hanging from a branch almost 100 feet in the air, so high up I could see no detail. Each body I saw was different. None showed any signs of carnival fakery. And the tombstones themselves became more and more realistic as we went doubling in number then tripling until it seemed like we were not even traveling through Rose Creek Park anymore but rather a large wooded cemetery tombstones varied in size and soon large silent tombs appeared in the woods I tried to read the names on the stones and tombs but it was too dark to make out more than a few the thought of leaping from the carriage did not even occur to me My mind was in an absolute fog of terror in the same state as someone in a dream in which voluntary action is impossible. The worst moment for me before the coach stopped came when I saw the glare of distant car headlights through the trees, confirming that I really was still in Rose Creek Park, and reality was only a quarter mile away, but unreachable. The horse eventually stopped in its tracks and the carriage creaked as the driver stepped down. He opened the door and motioned in his sickly, gallant way for me to step out. I did. We were in a large field that I did not remember from my first walk down the trail on Halloween night. This one stretched as far as the eye could see. The city wasn't there on the horizon as it should have been. The coachman told me to take my time and get a good look. He was in no hurry and this journey was meant only to please his customer. What I beheld in that field was a sprawling, unthinkably massive pile of human bodies, an accumulation of corpses suggesting some sort of secret genocide. The pile rose 20 feet off the ground in places. There must have been thousands of dead bodies there, and very few of them were still intact. I could see even through the dark, that there had been an effort to at least partially dismember virtually all of them. They had been hacked at, cut up. I saw stray arms and legs in the bloody snow. Then the coachman spoke to me. He said that the city around us was a violent place, one that killed and killed and killed, and he couldn't keep up with it all. He had to chop up the bodies into bits to make room but every night, there were two or three more. The people in the city never stopped killing. Even as he said these words, his smile remained, never wavering, as if he were incapable of any other expression but that vacant grin. The coachman told me that my friend Mike had wandered off into the woods where a junkie stabbed him many times and tried to hide him. He said the police would find him nearby if they really looked. The coachman lifted his right arm and pointed off to the east, then asked if he could put the body on the pile with the rest. I tried not to look at the man. I squeezed my eyes shut then, determined never to open them again. I heard the coachman's last few words. Good night, friend. Use caution in these parts and happy Halloween. There was the sound of the coachman getting up onto the carriage again. The horse began to move. I heard it clomping away and the carriage rattling. The sound slowly began to fade as it made its way back down the trail. In a minute or so, it was almost gone. I opened my eyes and saw the carriage as a tiny dot moving deeper into the woods. When I turned around, there was no field in front of me. It was just the end of one of many walking trails in Rose Creek Park, the same one I remembered from October 31st. I soon emerged from it and found myself just outside the city again. Eventually, I found a cab to take me home. The police did find Mike on their own, but not until 2006, roughly where my carriage ride with the coachman had ended. His body was entirely decomposed by then and foul play was obvious. There were 12 stab wounds in his chest. There had been no more Halloween carnivals inside Rose Creek Park. My memories of the night I last saw Mike continue to this day to play out with an unexpected invitation from the coachman to take one last ride down the trail. Dawn only remembers our lost friend making a dash for a hay truck that could never be reached. Well, looks like the fire is beginning to die down and I think it's about time to head home. So I just want to give special thanks to our guests this evening. I know this is an especially busy month for horror podcasters, and it means a lot that you were all able to make time to join us at the bonfire. So for movie reviews, both past and present, check out A Cut Above or Review and The Straight Chilling Podcast. For wonderfully atmospheric and creepy storytelling, look for Knife Point Horror, written and narrated by Sora Narnia. I love storytelling podcasts, and Knife Point Horror is my absolute favorite one. It's a little slow burn, it's a little offbeat, it's a little quirky, um, it's not always straightforward horror, but the stories will stick with you for a long time afterwards. You'll find links for all of our special guests in the show notes so you can easily find them. And lastly, I want to thank you for being a loyal listener and for joining us this evening. So good night, friends. Beware of mysterious coachmen as you make your way home. And happy Halloween.